Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. adventure today takes us to Corpus Christi, Texas, and Samuel Guerrero, Digital Marketing Manager at Concrete Street Amphitheater, coming to us with a very unique perspective, different from a lot of our previous guests, but uh, we'll get into that here in just a minute. Samuel, it's so great to talk to you today. Great. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you all. You know, we've had a a lot of guests uh, on the podcast, and one of the reasons that Paul and I wanted to have you on is because a lot of our guests have you know, so many stories of their lifetime in the industry. And when I was a kid, and this is how we used to do it. But you are a young up-and-comer in this industry. I remember when I was young. (laughs) But you are kind of coming out from a a different perspective than a lot of people uh, in this industry. As we mentioned, you're currently the digital marketing manager at Concrete Street Amphitheater. For folks unfamiliar with that, tell us a little bit about Concrete Street Amphitheater. All right, so Concrete Street Amphitheater is located in Corpus Christi, Texas. We are an outdoor venue that holds about 10,000 people, I would say. So I would say we're South Texas's large outdoor premier facility. Oh, wow. Cool. And Texas, what a spot right now, right? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you guys are blazing the trail for all of us. But when you've got you got a venue that is rocking, that obviously benefits from people being allowed to do stuff. At the same time, I know there's some you know, some challenges with, you know, all of a sudden, hey, there's no mask required anywhere. So so what has 2021 been like for you? So 2021 for us, we had two large events already um, beginning in March with Cody Johnson. So we still had it socially distant, but we also opened up our capacity. So our capacity um, is like 10,000 people. So we had it around 30%, I would say. So about 3,000 people Originally, it was 25%, so then we opened it up to 30%, still maintaining that safe, friendly, socially distanced event. All of our staff was required to wear a mask, but our customers weren't required to, so it was recommended but not required. But majority of our customers did wear a mask, I would say. So those have been our first two events of the year, and we have a few more coming up in May, then June. They were booking more throughout the end of the year. But yeah, it's it's been exciting. It's been different because we had... Last year in 2020, we had to completely pivot and do drive-in movies for about two months. So that was an experience itself, having sure. all these cars drive in through our amphitheater. And that was a fun time just trying to market those different movies since, you know, we do live entertainment and this was movies that we were doing. Yeah. And then in October, we had a few more shows and it was fun. They were all seated and no GA, but now, you know, we have both. And then in the summer, we eventually just have straight GA shows. Are you all seeing kind of that wave come back of more bookings? I'm sure you are just because the industry seems to be going that way. Like you said, you've had you know two so far and a little bit more, but I'm sure it's getting denser and denser as the year goes by and you're kind of seeing the return happening. Even as much as Texas is leading the front, I think the rest of the momentum is coming behind it. Oh, for sure. So we mainly do like Texas country artists, I would say at the moment, and more Texas country artists have been more open to playing at our facility. 
So it's been easier to book them and get them inside. So when you're looking at, you know, at those first live events, does it feel different to you now than it did before? Or was it something you just couldn't wait to get to when that, that same energy was there with the crowd? What was it like for you and, and from a, you know, a, a crowd perspective as well? So from my perspective, it was completely different seeing so many people seated at like an outdoor facility, considering the fact like Concord Street has always been, even if we did have seats, there would just be like three rows of seats, not actual tables sectioned off six feet apart from one another. So that was completely different seeing that. But I guess as a fan perspective, it was nice to see everyone out and about and having that smile on their face, seeing their favorite artists perform, which I feel like we as marketers always enjoy is like, wow, like we made this happen. We get to help create these memories. And it's great to see the crowd appeal to that and just enjoy the moment. Absolutely. It was so when we had one of our first events back at the arena, just seeing people come in with their excitement, you know, and, and mm-hmm. they're pulling their kids hands and they're just they're excited to be out anywhere, to be honest, is <laughs> is right. a great feeling. Yeah. Boy, I was creeping on uh, the concrete street amphitheater social media. And you can have a ton of stuff that you're announcing and going on sale with. Here's my question for you. So as you know, as we're getting back to having live shows, there's so many things that are changing. How is work changing for you? Is when when you're announcing these shows, are, are there is there anything that's really different than the way it, you know it used to be? Oh, for sure. So our budgets are actually very much smaller, um, but we still go through like what we normally would do through a marketing plan. Um, and it's just completely different in terms of like paid advertising on social media. But some of these shows just sell themselves, like especially with the Texas country shows, like Cody Johnson sold himself out. Then we had another Texas country artist, Parker McCollum, um, last year in October, sold himself out. But like just through social media and like very little radio, um, majority of the individuals buy their tickets up front. And then it just goes like slowly upward. And then like right. the week of the event, they'll just go like this and then stop once it sells out. But at the beginning, it's usually like a huge spike and then it just coasts for a bit. And then tapers. Yeah. Yeah. So when we usually announce like a Texas country artist like Parker, we would have a month out usually. So it would just be like that first initial week, just straight up and then stagnant and then straight up and then it's done. So majority of the people, I guess, buy at the front and then try to buy at the end as well, depending on the artist, I would say. Do you think there is this based on, you know, what you saw during the events before the pandemic, do you think it there is this almost like honeymoon period coming back where people are just excited to get back to events? You know, like maybe they were a fan of the artists or maybe they're just like, I want to go see a live show and I don't even care for this genre, but let's get me out of the house. Like, do you think that's helping? And maybe you don't need to spend as much on the marketing budget, at least during maybe this first year, because people are just so eager to return. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. People are very eager to return. Probably also the fact that why so many like tickets are sold up front because we would have tables or like socially distant pods in the front. So those first few rows, everyone would just buy. And then the second rows, third rows, fourth and fifth, like my mom, for example, not a huge fan of Texas country, but also bought a front row ticket with her friends just to get out of the house. Right. That experience that many of us are dying for, especially all over the country. Paul, I'm glad you mentioned it because I think you're absolutely right in your terms of the, the word honeymoon, right? It's like kind of that new building honeymoon that we get that two years when a new building yeah. opens where everything sells well, regardless of what it is. And I, I hope, knock on, on wood, that uh, that's kind of what we're heading for as an industry where we're, you know, nationally, globally, right? All our live events are kind of a hot ticket for a while. <laughs> I think we all could yeah. use, use that for sure. 
Oh, yeah. Planning an event is just half of the process. The next part is to promote it on the right channel to the right audience and spark people's interest. Factorial, our event marketing platform, will accomplish this task for you the easy way. From beautiful email templates and landing pages to cross-channel automations, from digital channels like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, to traditional ones like SMS and emails, you have all the right tools to deploy different marketing strategies and build an irresistible event brand. Now you can truly engage with your future attendees, expand your global presence, and make your messages heard. Factorial, an all-in-one customer engagement platform. First time I met you was, I think, in Las Vegas, where you were a uh, uh, intern at EAMC at our at our marketing conference. How did you get to that point? When did you realize that live music and working in this industry was a passion for you? So I would say it started when I was a child. I thought I was going to be some sort of pop star performing at the Grammys. <laughs> I realized I couldn't sing. Not too late, man. It's not yeah. too late. I realized I couldn't sing and I was like, hmm, okay, well, let me go a different route. I like, I was like the age of eight and I was he- like way into rodeos as a child, still am. I was like, mom, I want to be a professional bull rider. She said, no, that's a little too dangerous. I said, okay. <laughs> so then I wanted to be a bull. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I thought I just could be a bull at like the age of eight. I was a very <laughs> strange child. And then, so I'm like, all right, whatever. I just love music going to concerts. Like my first concert was Kelly Clarkson here at the venue the American Bank Center in Corpus Christi, Texas. After that, like I just went through high school and I became a mascot one year and a cheerleader the next year. What was your mascot? We were a cowboy. It was a Texan. All right. So you were oh, a Texan. Well, that's easy. You just like, yeah. go, you know, go outside dressed as you know, hat. yourself. Yeah. yeah a hat. I think we a picture of this ball. I think we you need lucked, a you lucked out. You didn't have to like put a gopher hat on or something. Oh like that. God, that's true. But I feel like that's where my interest in marketing like events started, especially as a mascot, because it'd be like, okay, how can we get people to come out to the pep rallies? How can we get people excited for an upcoming skit that we have? And I would say that like my passion for marketing originated there, especially with live events. And then I graduated and then got an internship with a local radio station down here as a marketing promotions intern. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, like this is pretty cool, you know? So then went to college um, at Texas State in San Marcos and then got a rodeo internship doing like hospitality and production behind the scenes backstage stuff. And I was like, this is really, really cool. Like, this is what I want to do. So you're there. Is it the, was it the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo? Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So you're there. And then all of a sudden you're being entrusted to be kind of, you know, backstage. You've gone from this kid who wanted to be the bull, right? Mm-hmm. To actually, you know, now you're taking that first step backstage. What was that like for you? Oh, I remember my first day as an intern there. I like cried in the parking lot because I was just so excited. And like, it's uh, not like, you know, people always dream of like doing their favorite thing in the world. And I was getting to do that. And I was like, wow, like I did it, you know, I'm here. And it was a huge step for me, you know, because I was supposed to be the family lawyer or whatever. And I did not want to do that. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just such a surreal moment, like being around like so many people that wanted the same thing as you and just networking with so many like like-minded individuals your age. And it was a really great eye-opening experience for me. And then where I did it again the next year. 
And then that led me into the event in Arena Marketing Conference. The people there at the San Antonio Stock Exchange Road was like, hey, like y'all should apply for this conference. They sent out like a link to everyone and I applied and the rest is history. That's cool. That was, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions on how did you find out about the conference, especially if you were, you know, you were kind of in marketing, but you were, you know, not at a venue, which I think is like, yeah. a lot of the people that come, although we absolutely have promoters and other people, but that's cool that they sent that around and sort of suggested that you uh, reach out. And then obviously you did and crushed it, made your way to Vegas and we didn't scare you off. <laughs> no, you did not. I probably scared other people off in Vegas, but it's okay. <laughs> what, what was that experience like at the first conference? I mean, obviously I, I wasn't an intern at my first one, but I just know the experience of like coming to a conference, you don't know hardly anyone or only one or two people. And you're kind of both kind of intimidated, scared, but also like really excited. And it's just like, it's also kind of this weird I think unique to this industry, like you said, there's this like passion that we all have. And when you meet all these people that have that same passion, you like didn't realize this many other people exist in the world that have that same crazy uh, screw in their head like you do. And you're like, whoa, this, everyone here loves live events? What? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was so, I don't know, I guess I was very scared when I first arrived because, so I was like the last intern to arrive. So my flight got delayed six times and then eventually oh, canceled. So I'm texting Kate Bean, who was the internship coordinator at the time. I was like, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it until like 10 p.m. She's like, why? And I'm like, <laughs> um, my flight got canceled six times. And then it got, oh like, no, it got delayed six times and then canceled. And then the latest flight they could put me on was like 2 a.m. And I'm like, I need something sooner. They're like, what about 10 p.m.? I'm like, no, I need something sooner. Mind you, it's two o'clock right now. They're like, okay, we can do six. And I'm like, mm, okay. And I was thinking to myself, what if I just rented a car and drove? Because at the time I was at LAX. So LAX to Las Vegas was like a four hour drive. I was like, I might just drive. Like what, what is holding me back? You know, and Kate's like, no, don't do that. So I waited for the fly and then I arrived and then everyone's already at dinner. So I didn't get to initially meet everyone who's on the committee to begin with. So I felt like I was already at a disadvantage right there. Like compared to the other interns, I was like, wow, like I didn't meet anyone yet what am I going to do? So I meet um, with Kate that night and then the other interns and like, we really hit it off like all of us. And it was like a great experience. And then they helped me meet other people as well, like the following day. And then from there, like I just talked to as many people as I could. And yep. it was a really fun time, like getting to hear everyone's experiences, you know, people love to talk about themselves. So it was great <laughs> to hear everyone's insights on like how they started in the industry and how they ended up at the conference as well. Yeah. Well, what you didn't know is that as much as you felt like you were being disconnected by not attending that dinner, your notoriety was building without you being there because Kate was like, this intern is like, had its flight canceled 20 times. He, you know, was going to rent a car. We were going to have to, you know, it was like built this like, whoa, who is this guy? He's yeah. going to drive from LA to Vegas. <laughs> So it's kind of uh, maybe maybe a good thing, but oh man, I I can remember that same feeling and experience like it was yesterday, even though it was not. Mm -hmm. And it's so thrilling and nerve wracking and amazing in every way. And I, I, just like you said, you just try to meet as many people as you possibly can, knowing you're not even going to remember like three quarters yeah. of their names. Just like absorb the people and the information and the you know the tips you can get from them. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you, you wrap up EAMC and does that, does it help you solidify kind of, yeah, this is what I want to do for my career? Oh, for sure. I, once we left Vegas, I was like, all right, what's my game plan? Like, I know I need to do this. I need to somehow make my presence out of venue. So I get home like a week later. I'm like, all right, everyone's subbed in from EMC. So all of the connections I made and like business cards I received, I like followed up with an email or like if I actually hung out with people more than once, I like personally written them like hand notes and just mailed it to them. Like, hey, thank you for your time. Like, I appreciate, you know, this friendship, blah, 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 blah. And I feel like from there, like that helped me like. People underestimate the power of a handwritten note. Right? Yeah, they lost art. And I'm telling you, when somebody takes the time to do it, it, it makes a, a great impression. Good on you. It also is like something that has gotten better in that the emphasis of it, you know, like it's like the yeah. handwritten note is now so rare that it's made its value like go up, 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 up. Yeah. And so now, just like you said, Dave, when someone when you get one from someone, it's like they took the time out of their Netflix binging, their work schedule. <laughs> they found a stamp. I don't even know where, where do I they find could, the yeah, stamp. They could easily email. text this to me or email it and they <laughs> wrote it down in cursive. Like what? Who does mm-hmm. this? You know, but it's so impactful when you do that. I love it. The handwritten notes, I feel like, wow, like, you know, that's a good like connection. You know, like, wow, they took the time out of their day to do this. For sure, yeah. for sure. So then so you're so you're reaching out, you're making these connections and, mm-hmm. and, and trying to find a way in the industry. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that. And then I get a few leads, but nothing's really landing for me. Mind you, back then I was a terrible interviewer. and I didn't really have like that marketing experience as I came like from a production hospitality type of background sure. for events. So I was like, all right, whatever. Like, you know, I'm not going to give up. So I accepted another position. Um, I was basically a sales rep, but also their marketing coordinator for um, this previous company. So it was like a food rep distribution center, kind of. Um, so a broker for a food service. And from there, I would just interview. And then there was a point in time I was like, all right, I'm just going to give up. You know, I've had enough. <laughs> I felt so down. No. I know. I was like, I'm just giving up. I was like, no, don't give up. I'm like, I need a mental break. You know, this is exhausting. Like applying and then interviewing and then it's just going nowhere. And you're like, oh, what do I do? So then my resume landed in my current uh, boss's email through one of my rodeo internship connects. And I didn't even apply for the position. <laughs> he just had my resume and he contacted me. He was like, hey, I want to get to know you. So I drove down to Corpus Christi, Texas. I was currently living in like the Austin area. So I drove down and then we had a conversation and we hit it off. And three weeks later, I accepted the position. It was really easy. And the rest is history. I'm currently here still. The digital marketing manager for Concrete Happy Theater. And it's like a bunch of other umbrella companies too under here. But yeah. Sure. Your adventure is just beginning, which is what I what I love, and that, that's that's great. Congratulations! It's funny because when someone interns uh, for us at the marketing conference and they go on to succeed, we kind of all take some ownership. We pat ourselves in the back. We're like, "Oh, we're so proud of you." We're just like we're because we're all rooting for you, right? Because we all, yeah. like, like Paul was saying, we were we were all there. And now and now, Samuel, you are kind of taking that next step, right? Because you mm-hmm. have not only taking a step into the world of, of, you know, doing this professionally, but now you're part of the planning group at uh, the event and arena marketing conference, and you've joined our diversity and inclusion committee. So talk to me a little bit about, about why that was important for you. So that's important to me because as an intern, I wanted to see a safe space for individuals who were diverse in the entertainment industry. And I felt like 
I wanted to bring my experiences up and how we can create a more positive environment for people of the LGBT community, um, you know, and different ethnicities and races and just how we can be more inclusive of that. Cause I walked in and I remembered, who am I going to connect with? Who am I going to talk to? Like, I don't know, like me as, you know, a gay male, I was like, where do I go? Like, who can I, what guys are, am I okay to talk with without me thinking in the back of my head, oh my God, they probably hate me, you know? So that itself, just bringing up those experiences of like, how can we make it more impactful? That's so important for us, right? Because one of the things that that we talked about uh, when we were talking about the idea of creating the diversity and inclusion group was, you know, of of making people feel welcome because Mm even though we all feel that we are super welcoming, uh, sometimes it's not, are there better ways, are there ways that we can do better, right? Are there ways that we can be more inclusive and more welcoming and and provide support even for folks who are just, you know, maybe looking for that extra little bit of support. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, that, you know, you mentioned was, you know, stepping into this, you know, this conference and being unsure just as, anybody felt but you have that mm-hmm. whole uh, you have a whole uh, you know additional layer of concern so talk to me for a minute for that person who is you know not the caucasian straight person walking into the conference right so somebody is listening to this right now and they're thinking you know i wanted to get into that live entertainment industry but will mm-hmm. i be welcomed will i should i be concerned what are the best ways for me to do it so talk to that person right now who's listening to the podcast who maybe is feeling like i'm not sure what my path is and, and what advice would you give to them? My advice to them would to be find someone you think you can connect with. That's what I did. I, after like the first day, I initially went to a few people after we hit it off. I was like, okay, everyone at BYP was so nice. And was like, okay, let me talk to them. Because then they led me to other people that they knew like I would feel comfortable with. And that's how I found my niche, I would say there. Because I found that initial set of just, I need to put myself out there somehow, regardless if I'm going to be embarrassed or like severe anxiety kicks in, I need to do it and just make that leap. Because if I don't make that leap, I'm not going to make any friends here. So I knew from that moment, like I just had to go out and do it regardless of how I was feeling. And that would be my advice. You just need to put yourself out there, even though you would feel like uneasy. But now I would feel like since these upcoming um, conferences, we are going to be more inclusive. That would be easier for a like-minded individual like myself to just find that openness and acceptance. Well, I appreciate you you teaching us there and leading the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you make a, a good point too. And you know, when you find these people that you can connect with who are super welcoming, whoever that is, and whether that's you sitting next to them in a round table discussion or sharing a drink with them at the bar or whatever it is, as soon as you can find that, you know, the old adage goes, you are the company you keep, right? And so when you find good people, they will lead you to other good people because people mm-hmm. like to gravitate to people that are like them. So I think you're right in that, you know, as sometimes it's intimidating to kind of take that first step and make those initial connections. But once you find the people who are really awesome, welcoming, and that's not to say others aren't, but like you find the people yeah. you connect with, they're going to lead you to others that you're also going to connect with, you know, because, you know, everyone kind of has that group that they are like-minded with. 
I think one of the things that, you know, we're so excited about is, you know, um, uh, just, you know, bringing things to our attention and, you know, things that maybe we just didn't even think of. I caught on your social media, you're sharing some support for Equality Texas, uh, the Transgender Day of Visibility, right? So what's the current climate in Texas? I mean, is it, are you able to, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's a state with a big reputation, right? So mm-hmm. how, are, how are you able to work through that both personally and professionally? Professionally, I would say it is difficult sometimes. Sure. Working in different environments in Texas, not everyone is so open-minded um, with any position I've had, I would say. And personally, it, I find it, like you said, you gravitate towards people who accept you. So personally, sure. I gravitate towards people who are like-minded as myself. Professionally, I tend to stay to myself. Sometimes, depending on the environment, I would say. Well, I, I love that. I love that you know that you are working to make a difference in this industry. The reason we created that, you know, uh, diversity group is not only to be more diverse at EMC, but to work as a long-term goal to create more inclusiveness as an industry as a whole. So uh, that's definitely a long-term goal, and I, I, I definitely appreciate you you leading the way. Hey, Paul, did you hear? This year, EAMC is going virtual. Oh, the Event and Arena Marketing Conference? Yep, that's the one. But it's so much more than the name implies. We're talking about marketing, publicity, promotions, group sales, live touring shows, ticketing, and more. And it's way more than just arenas, right? This is universal for all venues hosting live events, like stadiums, theaters, amphitheaters, and clubs. Uh, what about acoustic shows in my garage, Paul? Um, sure, Dave. Why not? <laughs> Plus, I even heard there's a special Adventures in Venueland live podcast recording as part of it. That's right. We'll be doing something a little different and inviting people to sit in and ask questions as we interview WWE superstar Drew McIntyre. <laughs> Wait, you mean two-time WWE champion, NXT champion, WWE Intercontinental champion, and two-time WWE Raw Tag Team champion Drew McIntyre, the Scottish warrior? First off, Dave, uh, yes, that Drew McIntyre. <laughs> Secondly, wow. Uh, the best part of it all, Paul, this year, it's all completely free, thanks to our friends at Event Hub. So you're telling me it's free and won't cost me a dime. Yep. And it's virtual, so you can tune in from anywhere, really. Yep, so no excuses. Join us June 8th through 10th. Register at eventarenamarketing.com today. Gaining exposure, attracting high quality attendees, and promoting your event, especially if you're not a marketing professional, is hard. But by having the right tools by your side, you can achieve unbelievable results. Extend your reach and amplify your event with Factorial, a holistic event marketing platform with tools like email and landing page builder, social media manager, marketing automation, web and in-app notifications, you can optimize all opportunities to engage directly with attendees and present your messages in uniform ways. Promote your next event in style and break through the information clutter to grab people's attention with Factorial, an all-in-one customer engagement platform.
You know, another one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because I think you come to it from a different perspective, is the way we do things as an industry in general, from, you know, uh, the way we buy media to the way that social media is shared. So mm-hmm. coming to it from your perspective, as somebody who's newer to the industry, you know, I know we, we've got room for growth, right? And this is a great opportunity to kind of hit that reset button on the industry as a whole. What kind of changes would you think would benefit marketing and, and the live event industry? So I found this problem with my current position, um, mainly the social media. I feel like some venues, you can tell with their wording and how they interact with fans that they just view them as like a money symbol. And personally, I know that, you know, growing our numbers up to like 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 followers, whatever, like that's great. But I think the long-term goal is did you create a community within your following? Like, do you have those key fans, customers that constantly interact with you, even though they might not be purchasing a ticket? Like, do they support you with anything that you do? And I feel like that's something I'm proud of with what I built at Concrete Street, social media, especially on Twitter and Instagram. You know, we went from, oh, like little engagement to like people like constantly interacting with us. And then like, just, you know, using these people to uplift our voices as well, I would say. Yeah, I think that's so important. To have that authenticity in your in your voice, how do you deal with, you know, because I know it's something that we all have struggled with, cram downs, right? So you get a post and it says, hey, please use this and, and stick to this exact copy. And you would, this is not our voice. This is not, you know, so how have you dealt with that? So I dealt with that by just doing what the tour would ask. And then <laughs> you. I know, I know. Comments, I do it every day, my friend. Yeah, in the comments, <laughs> we can be ourselves. Obviously, we can use yeah. that brand voice. Like, we're quick and witty on Twitter, you know, with memes and, oh, how can we make memes fit our brand and just translating that and just, you know, using the copy that the tour gives you, but then also using your own voice within the comments to interact with people. I still feel is like that quick little. Isn't that so interesting too, Dave, like what you brought up is there's this sort of um, this, I don't know how to describe it, like a roller coaster of, oversight for social media. Like I feel like when the industry first got on to social, which I remember I was at least from my side, pushing it really hard pretty early, but it was also very wild west and all the managers and directors above me, they had no idea what they were. So there was no one coming from the tour saying you need to use this verbiage. It was more like they didn't even know we were doing it. So we Mm -hmm. got to have way more control over our voice, which was really exciting and build that loyalty because it felt like it was a person actually like behind this Mm -hmm. account. It wasn't just this like press release release in the form of a social post. Right. But then as like, it became much more of this industry norm where you've got like it being a large part of the marketing machine, then you have all this control that comes down on it. And probably some of that is for good reason. I'm sure like some markets were doing it better than others, right? And so you probably have these promoters that are trying to prevent the uh, markets that may have not done them a good service from doing that by controlling it more. But in doing so, it's sort of like removed a lot of the personality from a lot of these venue accounts. And you're exactly right, Sam. I was literally like, 
clapping in my head when you were saying that to keep that personality because you will go and you can tell the accounts immediately. If you go look at the venue accounts and it's an arena account, you look at their Instagram feed and it's all the regurgitated stuff. This person's new album just came out. Here's a new, you know, whatever fan club pre-sale here's da da da. And it's all the same too. And you can tell because all the other venues are posting the same content, the same photo and everything. And I do feel like, although markets don't overlap a lot. So the chances that your fans are going to see that is pretty minimal. They do see that, you know, people are attuned now to what an ad is and what is not. They've gotten really good at it. So when they see something that's kind of feels like it's from the mouth of a marketing mind, then they're going to kind of not so much like unfollow it, but they're just going to tune it out. Like it's not Mm going to, you know, connect with them. So that is a challenge, but maybe like you said, you know, it's just kind of a balance of both. You can't really tell the promoter no, but you also have to just try to do what you can to step beyond that and still create that voice. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, sharing memes and, and some fun stuff there. I noticed uh, just very recently on your social, you shared a meme, one of the new style that's the hot thing this week, right? Or at least the week that we're recording this, where people are breaking down with little text graphics uh, and you did one about people asking you for free concert tickets because they know you work in the industry. Mm-hmm. Do you actually have people are they're already asking you for free tickets again already? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we have another venue as well. Um, it's like a little ice house. It's also a restaurant as well. It's like a cap of one thousand. But we've been having events there for since last April, I would say, socially distant, like twenty percent capacity, all seated. So even since then, people are like, oh, can I get a table? And I'm like, no, like you cannot get a table. You can't even get one ticket. I'm sorry. And then now, like fast forward to the end of 2020 and 2021, we're like, so can I get a ticket? And I'm like, no, like I need a job. Like you need to buy these tickets. How do you think we get paid? Right. Yeah. Not to mention, like we get, we give you one table. That's like half of our capacity right there. Now we've given away half of our inventory. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a crazy thing. It's kind of a thing. I think that people are glad is coming back because it's a sign that the industry is returning, but also mm-hmm. just moaning about it. Like, oh god, really? Like, here we go. We had a hard enough time without giving away all of our money. Like, I haven't heard from you from like over six months, and you're like, hey, do you have tickets for this event? No, I don't have tickets for this event. I'm sorry. That's that's always the worst. Uh, well, especially when it's somebody you've been to in a while, and you know you're just like you're getting through the first part of the conversation that you know is all phony because you know it's all just not totally ask. They're just asking you some yeah. some opening questions just to get to the free ticket question. Yep. Yeah. That's How are you going? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I haven't talked to you forever. Hey, you know, while I got you here, quick question. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Remember we both used to listen to Motley Crue back in high school? Speaking of Motley Crue, um, they're coming to the arena. (laughs) And I, my brother loves them. So can, can my brother meet, you know, Tommy Lee? That's, that's easy, right? You don't mind hooking a college friend up, right? There was one guy that I worked with and he was always like, you know, he'd come in and say, hey, so you know that uh, show that's coming up with uh, Eric Clapton? Um, I was, you know, I was thinking about, I'm going to make a, couple friends and is it can I get like 10 tickets and he'd always ask for like some ridiculous number he wouldn't even oh just have God. the guts to ask for tickets he would ask for like always it was always like eight to ten and you're like what in the world are you thinking my friend <laughs> a whole row right there almost right no kidding oh man 
Sammy, we talked a lot about, you know, what you do for work and, and everything there, but but what do you do for fun? How do you blow off steam? What do you get to do in your, in your free time? Maybe maybe we're talking, you know, pre-pandemic here, but, but mm-hmm. what, are, what, are your, what are some of your favorite things to do? Some of my favorite things to do, I would say horseback riding. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. I'm horseback I, rider? Yes, I've been horseback riding since I was two. So fun story, what? whenever I was two, yeah. My dad took me to North Carolina to ride a horse. Like he used to travel for work. So we went horseback riding in the mountains, whatever. And the horse tried bucking me off. There's a photo of me like right before the horse tried bucking me off as a two-year-old. And I stayed on the whole time. So I feel like that's where my passion for rodeo comes from too. Because that's exa- like, that's oh, exactly like, right. You know? Yeah. Like I was a horseback rider, like, you know, at this age. But yeah, no, I've been horseback riding since then. Took horseback riding lessons throughout middle school and elementary school. And I just do it whenever I can. It's a really good, like, you just feel free when you're up there, you know? It's like a really good time. Um, I enjoy kayaking as well. And I think that's it. I don't really know. Taylor I really Swift. Like, yeah, that too. I didn't want to mention that, but I'm a huge Taylor Swift uh, fan. How do so. you, you not want to mention that? That's like, you, 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 wear, that, you wear that badge very, very proudly. <sighs> yeah. Um, in my active time, I am like, I'm a huge pop culture fanatic. So I just like to keep up to date on things, you know, with pop artists and what's going on in the industry, you know, how I just like to see the different stuff that's going on. What it is about Taylor Swift specifically? Cause I know you, I know you're a huge fan, right? Like you're like a big, uh, big fan. So what is it, what is it about her that really connects with you? Um, I started listening to Taylor Swift whenever I was in middle school. So I feel like I just always had that connection with her personally. Um, even though I wasn't experiencing heartbreak as a sixth grader, it was nice to see like those emotions conveyed through a song. And I just didn't really see that with anyone else. You know, like my dad listened to rock music and my mom was like a pop music fan. So for me to bring Taylor Swift into the mix, they're like, hmm. And <laughs> From there, like, it just started, like, you know, me seeing her in concert, like, when I was, like, 12 or 13, and just growing up with her and seeing her grow up, I feel like I just always had that connection with her, and then me and my friends, we always go to her concerts together, so I feel like that's another connection I have, is that whenever we see Taylor Swift together, it just brings our friendship closer in, because we know that's, like, something, even though, like, we might drift apart, we still all have that connection with her, and I just really like her music. Yeah. Well, it's nostalgic too. She's been around. It's hard to believe how long, honestly, she's been around because she doesn't seem that old, but she started so young that it's like, I think the first Taylor Swift concert I worked was like 10 years ago, more than that or something. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, she's been cranking out albums and now she's just looping back around to the first ones again. Taylor's version. So it's like 2.0 coming back. I got to relive all of those feelings I did the first time I heard the albums again, as like, an adult who's actually experienced these feelings and emotions feels like a full 180. It's really nice. All right. So with with that in mind, I've got a very special fast five. We ask you five questions. Just looking for your instant answer. So the very first Taylor Swift concert tour you saw was? The Fearless Tour at the American Bank Center. Favorite Taylor Swift concert you've ever seen? The Reputation Stadium Tour in Dallas, because I'm in the Netflix movie on that. Oh, that's awesome. Ooh. Mm-hmm. How about the nicest artist you've ever had the chance to meet? Ooh. Lady Annabellum at the San Antonio Stockton and Rodeo when we were working. If you could see Taylor play at any venue other than your own, uh-huh. who would you like to see her play? 
I would have to say Gillette Stadium only because I was supposed to see her there last year, but then it got canceled. That's a big like lover tour, I think. Yeah, like lover fest. It was like a few select dates, and I was supposed to fly out and go. So, and I've always wanted to go to Gillette Stadium, so I feel like Gillette Stadium would be my ideal location to see Taylor. Swift. I figured you would just say like my backyard or something. Oh. Like Dave left it. Dave left it so open ended. You could have yeah, said like uh, intimate garage tour in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a last bad one. Qu- last question. What okay. is uh, what is the theme song to the show about your life? So you, we get your own, we get the, get the Samuel show, right? And cameras follow you all around Kardashian style, mm-hmm. right? And so this is all about you. What is the song that plays over the opening credits to the show about your life? That's a good question. I have to say Fearless, Taylor's version. So that's the new version, right? That's, that's the, mm-hmm. she's like re-recording her albums? Yeah, so that song is like about like falling in love and everything and how like, oh, you're eventually going to do it if you experience heartbreak. But for me, I view it as more of like, yeah, you might mess up in life, but it's okay. You're just going to keep on going. So Love it. Hey, you mentioned, you know, the importance of reaching out. And I definitely think by sharing, you know, some of some of your stories and challenges, you know, early on in your career, uh, someone may want to reach out to you. So what's the best way for someone uh, to reach out to you and contact you if they want, if they want to touch base? And then also let's hit up any social accounts you want to throw out there. Okay, so people can always add me on Facebook at Samuel Cadetto, or they can follow me on Instagram at Unicorn Samuel. At Unicorn Samuel. Yes. <laughs> I've had that username since I was like in fifth grade, so I can't get rid of it. <laughs> Amazing. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, with us today and uh, sharing your stories and your adventures that are, that again, just beginning. Hopefully we're going to do another one of these in, in 10 years and you can be a repeat guest and, and share all our, uh, your, your future adventures. So at that point, you'll be, you know, heading up marketing for the Grammys and we'll be able to go back to this episode and you'll be yeah. like, I wanted to perform at the Grammys and we'll be like, well... Don't be surprised if you get this like cold email from Dave and I saying, hey, Mr. President of the Grammys, um, could you do a podcast interview? Remember us? <laughs> That's the goal. We could all perform at the Grammys together. We could be a trio. There you I'm go. in. I'm in. But I'll, I'll, even wear, I'll even be a bull, right? If I got to be a bull and just wear a bull costume, turn <laughs> in the background, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, thanks again for the time and thanks to everybody for listening to today's episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venue Land is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.